Well, welcome, good evening to all of you here in the room and to those of you tuning in online. Uh, glad to have you here at Element City Church, especially if it's your first time being here. I met a couple of you who are new. Uh, we'd love to just kind of help you feel connected and kind of sit back, be our guest. At the end of the service, we have what's called a 10-minute party. Guess how long it lasts? 10 minutes uh, or less, and uh, we'd love to invite you. It's just for you as a guest, and it's right back in that corner there, uh, and we've got the best kettle corn this side of the Grand Canyon just for you for showing up and being our guest with us tonight. So if you're online, you can talk to one of our online hosts. You can connect with us there. Uh, maybe you can download our app. I just invite you to do that if you haven't done that yet. Uh, we travel light. It's an easy way to, to find playlists of songs that you hear here and uh, events that are coming up. we got a lot of uh, different events happening here in October, November, so you'll want to check that out. In two weeks, we've got our after party, uh, which is uh, a couple food trucks and things will be out in the parking lot after a shortened service a little bit. Uh, it's going to be football themed, so wear your favorite jersey that night. Or if you're a soccer fan, that is also football. And so you are welcome to wear that jersey as well. Uh, and so we would love to have you be a part of that with us here in a couple weeks. And so, again, if you haven't downloaded the app, make sure you check that. Make sure you check events that are coming up and get connected with that. Thank you to all of you who were with us yesterday serving on our second Saturday food distribution. Uh, we do that every second Saturday. Saturday. That's why it's called Second Saturday Food Distribution, so you can remember it. Uh, and we got to hand out and just kind of hand out some food and pray with folks yesterday. So thanks for being a part of that. Uh, you are welcome if you're new. That's an easy on-ramp to jump into serving. Uh, we pack food the Friday before that uh, at Caring Ministries, and then we hand it out on that second Saturday. And so that's an easy way to connect and just meet some other folks around here, serve for an hour and a half, and uh, try to be a blessing to people in our city. So um, you all excited to be here tonight? Yes, awesome. We're going to worship a little bit if you're new. Uh, I'm going to teach a little bit in our series on First and Second Thessalonians, so we'll continue in that here this fall. We're kind of spending some time there. Uh, one of the things I love about our church is just how we do community around here. So we've got people connected into micro groups, what we call discipleship groups, that are going through like a 26-week study of just what does it mean to follow Jesus. And so if you're interested in that, if that's something you're like, hey, I, I want to study a little bit more about that, I want to be in a group of three or four, uh, it's no more than four. Uh, you can sign up for that in the lobby. We've got e-groups, and we've got some new e-groups that are launching, just community of people who are living life together, studying the Bible for life change, praying for one another, eating food together, hanging out. And then every Sunday, we have a group of people that go out to dinner afterwards. So tonight, we're going to Cereal Grillers, so you can be a part of that if you want, even if you're new. We'd love to invite you to that. Uh, I see I remember to do it early this time because I forgot last time. Anyway, so, uh, and the other thing we do to start off the service is pray for the church of the week. And so I'm going to invite you here, if you're in the house, to stand up with me. We're going to start off with prayer into worship. Uh, and we want to pray for 22nd Street and Pastor Ashley. He's a great guy. Uh, I've gotten to know him a little bit and just appreciate what they're doing at 22nd Street, uh, a little bit further east and south of here. And uh, we know it takes uh, just a whole lot of churches to reach a million plus people that are not connected into faith community. So it's not just about elements, it's about the church. Um, and so we want to pray a blessing over 22nd Street and over our time together tonight. So again, whether you're online with us or here in the room, thrilled to hang out for the next hour or so with you. And uh, as we've been praying that God would be doing something in your heart to refresh you. And so let's go to him and ask uh, for his blessing and his encouragement tonight. And so Father, we pray, we pause, we lean in, to the truth of who you are, Jesus. 
So right where we are, whether we're watching from our living room, whether we're watching here in this room, gathered together. Father, we are are asking your blessing over 22nd Street and over Pastor Ashley and their team. Uh, God, would you bless their reach, their resource, their impact that they can have as friends are reaching friends and impacting their region of the city. We pray that you would leverage them for the kingdom good uh, here in Tucson. Father, we pray that you continue to, to leverage elements and the opportunities that you've put before us and the dreams that we've had in the past that you've accomplished, the new dreams that are in front that you're going to lead us to. And so as we spend some time leaning into your presence and worship, aiming our hearts in your direction, would you meet us afresh and anew tonight? As we look into your word, as we uh, just lean in, what does it mean to be an encourager? Would you encourage us tonight, Father? May we leave here to be encouragers to those around us, we pray. In Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, amen. Saying I have no reason to praise I will give thanks Oh, I will give thanks When the roar that I hear Is a voice of my fear Trying to silence this hope in my heart I will give thanks Oh, I will give thanks a song of thanksgiving is my battle cry With joy is my weapon, I stand and defy The lie of the dark with my hands lifted to the sky I will
Yeah. 
together, one heart, one voice. stand in this moment, just reflect on who you are. And so maybe just as the music plays in your heart, just think back over this week, how have you seen God at work in your life? What aspects of his character has he shown to you in the ways that he's come through for you and the ways he's provided for you? Maybe just in that moment, center yourself uh, just with a heart of thanksgiving, a heart of gratitude that we can know our Father, we can know our God in this way. Yes, Jesus, what a, what a privilege it is that we can gather together tonight to worship you 
that we exalt you and lift you up as our Lord and our Savior. And just when I think of world religions, I think of people who give their lives to, to spirituality or to different things, God, that um, so often they're seeking to know the unknown. And in so many other religions, there's gods who would just toy with the people, would um, just be fickle, and yet that's not who you are. When every other religion in the world is seeking to, to climb to some level of nirvana or to climb up to, to meet uh, the creator in some way, shape, or form, trying to earn their way to their, their creator, we don't have to do that. God, you loved your people so much that despite our failures, despite the ways that we've continually offended you and your holiness, you came down the mountain. You sent your son down the mountain so that you could be known. As Paul says in Colossians, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And so you've chosen to reveal yourself through your son. And it didn't stop there. He took our failures and the ways that we've offended you and he carried them to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin that we could never pay. And he rose from the grave to conquer death so that we who place our hope and our trust and our faith in declaring Jesus as Lord would no longer have to fear death. Where's its sting? Where's its victory over us? That's who we get to sing to tonight, God. Thank you for that. Thank you that you are the wonder-working God, the God who comes through in any and every situation. So Lord, tonight, would you just still our hearts before you? Would you open our, our eyes to see wonderful things in your word tonight? Would you open our ears to hear the things we need to hear from you? We pray your anointing over Pastor Jack as he comes and speaks, and we just ask God, but every word that falls from his lips, would it be Holy Spirit speaking to human spirit through him? We love you, Lord. We give you all the praise, all the thanks, all the glory. It all goes to you. We lift you up, Jesus. Everyone said, amen. Amen. One of the things I love about our church, not just our heart to really try to create a space and opportunity for people to lean into worship, we want to foster and cultivate a heart of a worshiper in us as followers of Jesus, but uh, <clears throat> I'm Jack, and I love babies. Um, so we have so many babies around here, and it's like, I'm not a grandpa yet, and I'm not in a hurry to get there, but like, I love like holding the little ones around here. And I just, I, I'm so excited about it. So like Friday night, right? I'm at the worship night that, uh, up at uh, Casas and we're there and my friends, they have a two-week-old little girl. And so naturally, I would walk up to them and, and say, hi, and just take their child. Um, and, and, and they trust me. And, and I, uh, so anyway, I'm holding her and walking around and, and giving them a break and, and just... Um, and my friend and I got to talking, and he's in the Air Force Reserves, and, and he says, you know what, I never, I never had this feeling before. Um, like, how could you love something so much that, like, can't do anything? Like, they can't do anything. Um, but, like, I couldn't love her anymore, and, and now I think I finally know 
like my buddies who have been deployed before, like how hard it must be uh, to be deployed and to, to not be physically present with your little one or, or to have a birth of a child happen while you're out and being deployed. And so again, it's just, we're grateful for the men and women of our, air, uh, of our armed forces and, and the sacrifices they make. And it made me think of this story um, about uh, this sergeant who was getting ready to be deployed and he wanted to, uh, to write notes to Rosie, his seven-year-old daughter. And so for a few weeks before he took off, he invested intentionally time to write notes. In fact, he wrote 270 notes, one for every single day he would be deployed and gone. And so sometimes Rosie would open up uh, a note at lunch and other kids would gather around and he, uh, they would read together what dad had wrote her. Or sometimes it would be on her pillow as she woke up in the morning. Or sometimes it would be right before she goes to bed or right when she got home from school. 270 days in a row. Now, the mom talked about how uh, the dad, uh, Sergeant Kelly, uh, just was so intentional about trying to write uh, notes that would encourage her to continue to, to strive forward in life, to uh, kind of those action-oriented words that would minister to, to her heart with that. And, and, and I can't help but hear that story uh, of deployment, and we see so many examples of that uh, around. And, and how many of you have ever walked, like, you know, watched one of those welcome home videos? You ball every time like me, right? It's just like you can't watch one of those videos and not be moved uh, or, like, check your heart. Um, but, like, this whole idea of just this investment. And, and I think the heart behind what Sergeant Kelly did is really the heart what we see displayed in the Apostle Paul as he writes this letter to the, the church there in Thessalonica. That, uh, again, just to, to remind you, if you're a part of this series as we're going through this, uh, every so often we'll do some topical series and what's the scripture have to say about truths of life. And every so often we'll kind of go through different books of the Bible and we're going through First and Second Thessalonians, which is far in the New Testament. And so if you have your app, you can open it up, go to Sermon Notes, follow along tonight, or you can turn to First Thessalonians chapter 3. It's where we'll be tonight. Uh, and as we continue in that, uh, I just invite you, if you miss a week or so, catch up on the app or catch up on the YouTube channel and, and you can follow along there because there's a lot of truths, I think, in here for people who are living in a, a culture of uncertainty and a culture that's kind of shaky. Well, that very much described the culture of the first century moment that the church in Thessalonica launched into as Paul kind of invested in these people. Uh, a lot of them trusted in Jesus and then he got kicked out of the city and had to leave and he was kind of on the run and, and, and he was heartbroken that he couldn't be there for them early on in their faith journey. They had spent some time, but then he's writing back to them a little bit later. He sends Timothy, that's what we're going to find out tonight, is he got real intentional about how do I care? How do I encourage? How do I help? How do I find out? And so he sends Timothy back and then Timothy comes back to him, uh, reports of how things are going, and then he writes this letter, First and Second Thessalonians, back to to the people of this church in the first century, around 51 AD. And what we're going to see through this is this uh, encouragement is so much a part of the heart of the Apostle Paul. And I want you to think about the people God has used to encourage you in life. 
whether you're a follower of Jesus yet or not, maybe you're just kind of spiritually searching things out, and I think it's awesome that you're here. We want to be a church where you don't have to believe everything to belong, and that you can be on a journey trying to figure things out for yourself and who this Jesus really is. And But I bet you've had people in your life that God has steered across your path who have been a source of encouragement to you. That whether it was in a rough season that you needed someone to come alongside you or whether maybe it was just a lonely season, whatever it may be, that as you think back over the landscape of your life, my hunch is you have found some people that God has directed your way that were like just at the right moment. It's like we all need encouragement. How many of you would say, I need encouragement? Okay, five of you, perfect. Um, so this sermon's going to flop uh, with that. No, the reality is we all need encouragement. It's like a fresh wind in our sails when we get it. And when we go without it, it's like we're lacking and, and things are totally missing and we're missing steps in this. But Paul was used by God to be an encourager to the people in Thessalonica. Not only was he concerned about their safety, but he was concerned about their spiritual growth as followers of Jesus. So, so this kind of motivated his heart to do something with this idea. And so I just want to kind of walk through chapter 3 here a little bit, pull out a few things for us as we wrestle with this particular question tonight. How can God, or how will God, or how would God might want to use you, to leverage you to be an encourager or to encourage more of the people around you? How might God want to use you, leverage you, uh, kind of steer you in a way that you can encourage more of the people around you? This is how 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1 starts. So, when uh, we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. So, they had made it to Athens. They had gotten kicked out of Thessalonica area. And we sent Timothy, who was our brother, a co-worker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen you and to encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by the trials that we knew were coming and that we now see for we know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that there would be persecution, there would be opposition to what you're saying yes to in Jesus, and it turned out that way, as you well know. He goes on, verse 5, For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, he repeats himself again, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter, our enemy, had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. Paul was concerned, and he had that concern in his life for these people. Paul wasn't aloof. He was distant, and there was distance between them, but he was not distracted, or he was not disengaged from them. His heart was concerned for them. He was observant. He was empathetic. He was aware. Let me ask you, does that describe your heart? Because I know the complexity of the life in which we live, the culture in which we navigate, it's really easy sometimes for us to become distracted, for us to become devoted inwardly and really not empathetic to the people around. We're empathetic for ourselves and we're trying to take care of number one and we're trying to, to get better and advance in our own lives, but sometimes we could turn off the radar of awareness of what's going on in the people around us or the people that cross our paths. And if we're not careful, we can not foster a heart of encouragement for those around us. But we know 
that God has used people to encourage us, and we are the benefactors of that. You can think back over your life and how God used people to speak into your life, to encourage you at just the right moments. And my heart is, if you're a follower of Jesus, like there's a part of you deep down that says, I want to be that kind of person to the people around me. Like, I want that. But yet we live in a culture that kind of pulls us away from fostering and cultivating that kind of heart or that kind of awareness going on. And what we see in the life of Paul is, no, he was empathetic. He was dialed in. He was aware. He was observant. He was not aloof. You could hear the ache in his own heart twice when we couldn't stand it any longer. So you have to understand, Paul and Silas and Timothy were like this crew that were advancing the early church, planting churches all around the uh, Mesopotamia re- region and, and making things happen. And, and you, we know about Paul and his thorn in the flesh. We don't know fully, totally what that was, but we know a lot of scholars believe maybe it was some of his eyesight issues. Uh, and, but this reality of things that were struggling. So he had companions that were traveling with him that were helping him and And for him to send Timothy away to go back to this church was a sacrifice for him. It was a sacrifice for him to say, okay, I'm not going to have things the best possible way for me because I desire to have the best possible things for these people that I love dearly. And I want to see them grow in faith. And so he sends Timothy back to this church to encourage them. You can hear the ache in his heart. He's seeking to encourage them. And he's not just concerned. He actually does something with his concern. See, being concerned is not enough. Our concern ought to push us into action. See, being concerned simply means I put my cell phone up and I videotape what's happening around me which is what most of our world does. But being a person of love says I put the cell phone down and I stop recording and I actually get involved and I participate in trying to solve what's happening around me. And see, there are a lot of people in the world who are concerned and that's all it is and they record it. But there are a few people who say I'm concerned and I actually want to do something about it. And that's what we see in Paul. And that he wasn't just concerned about this early church and about these folks in Thessalonica. He allowed that concern to actually motivate him to do something. And so though Paul couldn't go back, he sent Timothy. And he said, Timothy, you've got to go. And you've got to encourage. See, not only was Paul uh, understanding that they have this genuine faith in Jesus, but he understood discipleship. He understood that we've got to grow in faith. We've got to help people take those early steps of what does it mean to follow after Jesus. We've got to help people along in that. We want people to grow up, not give up in their pursuit of falling after Jesus. And so we've got to help them in that. He sends Timothy back, and he says, listen, Timothy, you've got to help me understand what's going on. And then verse 6 is Timothy's report back to him. In this letter that he's responding back, he's writing to them. But Timothy has just now come for us. He's brought us good news about your faith and love. He's told us uh, that you've always been pleasant memories of us, that you long to see us just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all of our distress and persecution." The persecution that they're facing and the persecution that Paul and Silas are facing in their condition. We are encouraged by your faith and what we see God doing in you. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the faith. Standing firm in the Lord. Verse 8. Paul's become convinced of their conversion of that and he knows that they've got to disciple them. 
And he spoke about, hey, the resistance is going to come. You, we follow Jesus because of the grace and the hope and the mercy that we get. But those are counter messages to the culture in which we live. Uh, some things don't change after 2,000 years. And that the hope and grace and, and, uh, and life that Jesus offers is still countercultural even today. And people push back against it and choose to try to resist it and they try to be in opposition against it. Paul knew that the troubles would come. And troubles because of one's faith in Christ should be expected, it's inevitable. That tribulation or persecution or opposition from a society that's opposed to the values of Christianity, Paul wanted these believers in Thessalonica to know, hey, listen, you're going to go through some stuff. You're going to have troubles. You're going you're gonna to have some setbacks. And as you go through that, we serve a God who walks with you through that and empowers you. He's speaking about the inevitability of opposition. Suffering will come in the territory of following after Jesus. Suffering will be a part of your journey and a part of mine. It's not that we get to pass out of that. And some people come to faith and they think it's going to solve all their problems. No, it's not. Uh, you will have a problem solver now with you, uh, but you will still be opposed. There will still be persecution. There will still be troubles that you will face. We see this in the life of Jesus. Just read John chapter 15 and chapter 16. Jesus speaks about this pretty bluntly. John 15, he says this, verse 18 and 19. If the world hates you, be aware that it hated me before it hated you. And Jesus was hated from the very beginning. When he was a young child, less than three, King Herod sought to kill him and actually wiped out everyone that was three and younger in that entire region trying to take Jesus out. That's why his family was led by an angel to flee that area. He wouldn't have made it otherwise. And he was hated at the very end when people rejected him as a savior and called for his crucifixion. The same world would surely hate those who proclaim an allegiance to Jesus. See, if you belong to the world, if, if you, um, it, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. I have chosen you out from the world, Jesus said. That's why the world hates you. And that's why opposition is going to be a part of your story. Jesus wants his followers to be distinctive, to be set apart from the world. We're a part of the world. We're in the world. We're not of it. We've been set apart. He's choosing us, setting us apart. Problems are inevitable for followers of God. In fact, troubles might be one of the greatest signs of your effectiveness and for the Christian living. Situations and struggles that come your way. Some folks turn to God hoping to escape all that. Jesus never promised that. In fact, in chapter 16 of the Gospel of John, he says this, I have told you this, that you may have peace in me. Notice what he doesn't say. You're not going to have peace in your circumstances. You may have peaceful seasons, peaceful moments, but your whole scenario, your whole life's not going to be peaceful. You find peace in me, Jesus is saying. Here on earth, you will have what? Roses and potpourri. Is that what he says? No. In this world, you're going to have trials and sorrows, but you take heart because I have overcome this world. Instead, he's giving us an understanding that we will grow through our sufferings. In fact, uh, one of the writers in the New Testament talks about the fellowship of our sufferings. 
that in growing in intimacy with Jesus is actually found as you struggle through life and understand the path of suffering that Jesus marked out and modeled. And as we walk in that path, we'll actually grow in intimacy with him, connection with him. You know this to be true in your own life. It's the people who have walked you through the sorrows of life, the downsides, the struggles of life that I bet you feel the most connected to because they've walked through the challenges with you. They didn't run away. They actually labored with you into those moments. That's part of the fellowship of the suffering. That's why James chapter 1 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of all kinds. Who can say that? Like, that's not a Hallmark card you're going to find at the store. Consider pure joy when life sucks. James chapter 1. Why? Because the writers of the New Testament knew, hey, suffering's going to mark your life. It's a part of the reality. And if people try to sell you something different, then they're just trying to sell you something. A reality of falling after Jesus is it's beautiful. And it's a struggle. It's both and, not just either or. See, Paul predicted continual persecution. It's what he talked with these early uh, people of the church on Thessalonica. It was a common experience of Jesus and the disciples. Jesus sacrificed his physical life, and many disciples suffered for the faith, even dying for it. See, real discipleship implies real commitment it is a challenge. Those who spend their whole lives trying to avoid danger or pain or discomfort may end up isolating themselves from being able to even have a kingdom contribution or to serve at all because they live on the margins trying to avoid everything. If our aim is only to protect ourselves from opposition or hardship, we begin to wilt spiritually and emotionally. Our lives turn inward and we lose out on participating in our intended purpose with God. When Jesus said, follow me, it wasn't just to the mountaintops. There were some of those moments with the disciples. And there were also a lot of valleys. Because here's where you grow, in the valley. You can also grow to know God in the mountaintop experiences also. But it's both and. See, following Jesus is not always easy, especially in a culture that says and pushes and opposes some of those core values. God set the itinerary of your life, and he made suffering one of the destinations along the road for you and for me. And that doesn't sound very peppy, and that doesn't sound super encouraging, and you might even be wondering, why am I listening to this? Because it's true. And what you want the most is the truth, because the truth is what sets you free. That's what Jesus said. If Jesus and Paul preached suffering, if Peter preached suffering, if everyone in the New Testament, one of the writers, preached suffering, then how can I edit it out of the Christian contract? The reality is, it is a marker of moments that will come. But here's the promise of what will follow. Those who will live that discipled commitment of following Jesus to the mountaintops and through the valleys. 
there will be moments where you will grow in your faith and your intimacy with Jesus and your awareness of God and his power and his, his breadth and his scope of what he can do in your life that you would never experience if you didn't go through the valleys. It's just the reality of life. And it's the invitation of what Jesus said, follow me. And where did he end up? At the cross. He got to the resurrection, and he promises that for us as well. But the cross is always part of the journey. The sacrifice is always part of the journey. The struggle, the opposition is there. See, Paul quickly moves this young church from just milk. Hey, grace is awesome. Hey, hope is cool. Mercy is great. To solid food and to meat. Yes, God is love. Yes, grace is amazing. Yes, mercy is necessary. But please don't leave out or miss out the fact that suffering is inevitable. And it is a part. God only had one child without sin. That's Jesus. He will have no children in his family without suffering. That is a mark of every single one of us. It's why in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 1 we can talk about how we are to minister to one another as we go through hardships with the same grace that God pours into us so that we can invest into others. Why? Because we all go through heartache and we all go through struggle. It marks your journey and it marks mine. And it's an invitation for us to connect one to another there. I told you, Paul said, this pressure and affliction and trouble would come. I was afraid that maybe the tempter had tempted you and that our labors would be in vain, that you gave up. But Timothy's telling me, you didn't give up. You're growing up in faith after Jesus, and that encourages my heart, he's writing to them. I want to encourage you. I'm intentionally writing back to you. I want you to hear our heart. I didn't want the enemy to hurt your feelings or the enemy to hurt your body, but I'm not concerned about that. I didn't want the enemy to hurt your faith and to get you stuck and sidelined. He's saying almost in a parental way, this protective instinct. As a parent, you have this protective instinct in you for your kids, your nieces, your nephews, even uh, other children. Have you ever found yourself, like, if you're not a parent, maybe you're out at a store, and then you see a young kid, and they're doing something kind of dumb, and, 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 like, even, like, you're not their parent, but you're like, oh, someone should do something, and you're like, and then, like, eventually, like, you don't, like, don't ever touch them, but, like, you should, like, like, uh, hey, hey, maybe you shouldn't do that. Um, hey, let's go over here. Or I hear your mom calling. Uh, and like, just like, you're just trying to protect, like you have this protective instinct in you. And Paul's kind of writing with that protective instinct uh, as a parent saying, look, I want to see you protected. Uh, but I want you to know the one who can protect you actually goes through the storms with you. See, a meteorologist is really no good after their initial warning on the news. Hey, tornado's coming, hurricane's coming. They ain't going to do anything after that. They're letting you know. Awareness, it's coming. But there's no meteorologist that's on the ground walking you through the storm. But that's the hope and the promise we have in Jesus. Jesus says, look, the storms are coming. In this world, you will face trials and troubles. But you take heart. Why? Because I've overcome the world. And I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you 
in the midst of the storm. The power comes. Only God can forecast the storm and be your anchor in it at the same time. Nobody else can do that. See, the tempter wants to tempt you to stop believing, to give up. That's the devil's end game. Drop out. It's too hard. But Jesus says, no, the storm's coming. But I'm here, and I will get you to the other side. I'm with you, and I won't forsake you. See, the enemy's trying to let you, tell you to let go of the only thing that won't move, God. Because if you let go of God, well, then the culture just sweeps you away, and he wins. But Paul's reminding them, no, 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 you got to hold on to Jesus. Hold on to your faith. Your faith in God is what enables you to navigate the circumstances and the ups and downs of life. God is greater than all of those, and he will walk with you. It's his protective reasoning. i got to send Timothy back to you. Timothy, when you go, you've got to strengthen these believers. you got to encourage them. you got to keep them from becoming disturbed by these troubles that are coming. Give me a report back of what's happening on the ground. Paul was concerned about the opposition that was causing disruption in the church. See, the word translated encourage here, one of the things he sent Timothy to do to encourage the saints is parakaleo. It's the same word Jesus used of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be this paraclete, this one who comes alongside, who empowers and walks along with, who builds up. He uses the exact same word. See, the Holy Spirit is our comforter, and he comes alongside us and walks through us in life. The Thessalonians had the Holy Spirit, but they needed a Timothy also. Don't you find that fascinating? That God created us to be in a web of relationships where it's not just you and him. He said that's not enough. It's enough for you. It's what you need most, but you also need others. See, in a dark and fallen world, you need someone who's visible, someone who's vocal, and someone who's tangible to help encourage you in your faith. It's one thing to have the Holy Spirit walking alongside you. He's one that can empower you. But it's something else to have a brother and sister also who holds your hand while you're making your way through it. And that's the blessing. So honestly, think about it for a second. Who has God used in your life to hold your hand and walk through some of the challenges or struggles or the hard seasons of life that have come your way? The opposition, the persecution, the, struggle, uh, the troubles, the struggles have come. And God has used people. Who are they? Picture them in your mind. Who has God used to come alongside and, and to be that paraclete in a way that he's given you the Holy Spirit as a follower of Jesus, but he's also brought people connected to you. See, we long to be a church that sees the Spirit move in the lives of people, but at the same time is partnered with the Spirit to come alongside one another and to walk together through the challenges that come. Paul could not stand by and just be concerned. And he couldn't stand by and just be concerned or write a note. He had to do something. And so he sent Timothy. Godly compassion, authentic devotion, and real love are best demonstrated in the midst of the storms of life, not just the sunshine seasons of life. There's no room in the walk of faith for fair-weathered fans or fair-weathered family who just says, hey, I'm here when things are great. When things get tough, they walk away. 
You don't need friends like that. You need friends who will walk through the challenges with you. See, our concern must manifest itself into selfless behaviors that prove love amidst the difficulty, that put love for others first and foremost. That's why Paul writes to the Philippians, hey, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought, and and put others above yourselves. That's what he did. It's what he modeled to this early church and to the churches he planted. At the end of this chapter, Paul writes this prayer because it's all about relationships. And of course, why would Paul end with a prayer? Because Paul prayed for people all the time. It's one of the challenges we've invited you to do is to maybe one of the best ways you can minister to people is to pray with them. Here's the truth. God is the source of love. This is what Paul prays. I pray that your love would expand. God is the source of love. Jesus is the proof of God's love. And believers have got to be the agents of God's love in this world. That's your job. That's my job. We get to be the agents of God's love where we live, work, play. That we get to be those people who put God's love on tangible display for others to see. God has done his part. Jesus is doing his part. The question is, are we doing our part? Are we being open? to be those encouragers who share the love of Christ around. Here's how Paul finishes with this prayer. Now may our God and Father himself and the Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. We want to reconnect with you. And I know your heart is to reconnect with us physically, that we meet up. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, like to all around you. God's abounding love has no borders There's no edges to it. It's continually expanding so that he may establish your hearts blameless and holy. May he grow holiness within you. May you abound in love. May we reconnect. That's what he's praying for these people. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. It's no surprise that Paul ends this little section with a prayer. Why? Because Paul prayed often through his letters for the churches and for the people that represented those churches. Genuine Christian relationships are bound together in prayer, especially if there's separation or distance between them. See, praying together in groups and praying together in personal relationships, praying for one another is a, in our apartness is actually the cement that holds our bonds together. And so Paul writes to this church, I'm praying for you. We pray like unceasingly for you, he's going to talk about later in this book. We pray specifically, here's some specifics that we want to pray for. Listen, as you pray specifics for people and for yourself and your life, that's a good thing. Prayer isn't meant to be this generic thing that we just say, God, would you make everyone better? Like, that's really generic. You wouldn't give your kids generic instructions. You wouldn't ask for generic things at the grocery store. You ask specifically for things. You ask specifically for things in life, and it's okay for us to have specific prayer requests. But in those moments of praying, we're saying, God, we trust you know best. And so here's what I'm praying for. Uh, But if you say something's better than that, then direct me that way. We're open-handed with that. We're praying specifically, but we're open-handed as we pray. God, would you direct us to what's best that Jesus is God incarnate. This is one of the, remember, the earliest writings of Paul, one of the earliest writings of the New Testament. And even here, 20 years after the resurrection, Paul's making the connection between God the Father and Jesus and Jesus' deity, that he's connecting this together. He's not saying two, they're, they're the same 
is what Paul is saying. That's a, a particular theological reality that we need to see. Jesus is God, and he's praying that you would have and you would abound in this love, and not just this generic love, but this agape kind of love, the Greek word there. This agape, selfless, self-giving kind of love that doesn't have edges or boundaries to it. It's continually going. And what we need to realize is that abounding love is not something that you can create. It's not something I can create. I can be kind, like Ben's Bells that you see around town. I can be kind. I can be intentional about being kind. I cannot be agape love in and of myself. I can be loving. I can be helpful. I can be kind. But I can't be agape love, selfless kind of love. Why? Because the only love I know in my humanity is a love that benefits me. And that's the truth. I love to the benefit of me. That's not a selfless love. That's actually a little bit of a selfish love. It's not wrong, but it's not complete like God's saying. And Jesus had a selfless love. Why? It's what took him to the cross. And the cross is the greatest demonstration of the selfless kind of love of God. You are broken beyond repair, but you are loved beyond measure. And I have come to give my life for you. Not because you deserve it, not because you've earned it, but because I love you enough to do it. That is agape love. And that is radically different than just being loving. And so for us to love with the kind of love God has, it's got to flow from him. God's abounding love has no borders. And we are to be the active agents for God's kind of love in the world around us. And we can begin to model encouragement, much like we see in chapter 3 here from Paul. We can pray. Uh, what did he pray for? He prayed for their maturity. He prayed that their love would grow for others and that they would grow in holiness. And that we can pray that for people. So here's the simple question as we close. How's it going? Uh, to be alert and ready to actually pray with people throughout the week. Uh, we've kind of issued that challenge to say as a church, we want to pray for God's activity to be in the lives of the people around us. And so we kind of issued this challenge and we'll come back to it often. Hey, uh, what if you lived this week looking and being alert and aware to opportunities where you could pray for and with someone this week? How's that going? How's that going? With maybe just trying to be alert and maybe you're realizing, gosh, I've missed opportunities. That's fine. You know what? Tomorrow, start again. And Tuesday, start again. And Wednesday, start again. Just be alert. Be open. Hey, how can I pray with people? That's one of the ways that I think we can encourage people is to actually pray for God's activity in their life, to be on the move. What would it mean to encourage more? How could God leverage your life to encourage the people around you more? What, what have you learned from the people God has used to encourage you? who have invested in you, that now you can turn and say, I want to be the kind of person that encourages those around me. And so I just want to encourage you to live this week as you walk out these doors. Okay, God, thank you for the encouragement you've given me throughout the seasons of my life. I pray for more encouragement to continue to flow my way, and I pray that this week you would give me an alert heart 
to be aware to the opportunities of how I can encourage someone around me, how I can maybe pray with someone around me, how I can leverage my, uh, my time and my energy and my, my alertness to actually encourage someone this week on your behalf in partnership with you. And so, Father, that's, um, as we move into this last worship song, God, that's what we pray for, is real simply, uh, we want to be those active agents for your good in the world. And so we know that, uh, much like Paul has said here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, that his heart just ached to be this encouragement to these people. God, we want to be the kind of people that live with an ache that, that says we're concerned, but our concern is more than just putting a phone up and recording it, recognizing it. Our concern actually moves us to do something, to actually get involved, to, to actually be a person that can maybe be a, con, be a conduit of your encouragement through us to those around us. And so, God, I, I believe wholeheartedly that you've got people in our networks that cross our paths even this week that you want us to partner with you to encourage. And maybe it's to pray with them, to take 30 seconds, not to be weird, but to just pray and ask for your activity and for your hope to invade and to help. Maybe it's to come alongside and just say, I, I just want you to know I see you and I notice your investment and it's making a difference in me and the people around you. How can we encourage someone this week, God? I pray that you give us a heart like Paul that sought to encourage intentionally. I pray that you'd help us to be intentional with our encouragement this week. As we worship you now, we sing this song, we lean into the truth of who you are, Jesus. Would you maybe stir in our hearts a picture of a face, of a name, a friend, a coworker that you want us to partner with you to encourage this week. Cry. 
strong and worship you. And if it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice because you're there too. I won't be fooled by feelings. I hold fast to what is true. And if the cross brings transformation, I'll be crucified with you. Cause death is just a toy into resurrection life. If I join you in your sufferings, a few things uh, before we head out. First of all, thanks for joining us tonight. We're so grateful uh, that we get to gather together and we get to have this time, whether you're here on site, whether you're joining in online. Um, we're just grateful to see you, to worship with you, and we hope that you're blessed um, by what you got to experience tonight. So a couple things. One, we do giving a little differently around here. We do the silver boxes in the back, but honestly, most people give online. So if you're looking to partner with us financially, that's how you can do so. We just want to thank those of you who are givers and steady givers. You're the reason that we get to do what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, to bring this hope and light of Jesus into the city and to invite people into this relationship with him. So um, that's what we want to be all about. So uh, there's a lot of events coming up. Jack kind of mentioned some of that stuff earlier. So two weeks, we've got the tailgate party that's going on afterward. So I know he's saying it's football themed and you could also wear your soccer, like your football, football, as he likes to say, jerseys. But listen, the baseball playoffs are going on too. So Sam's going to have one of his jerseys on. And it's going to be a baseball jersey, so you won't be alone if you need to wear a baseball jersey. That's okay, too. Um, so there's that. Yeah, that's going to be two weeks after service uh, from tonight, October 23rd. Um, the other really important thing is we're gathering a bunch of candy for the Trunk or Treat uh, Festival that's going to be going on on 10-28. So that's October 28th. I believe it's a Friday night. Yes, it's on a Friday night. So we need a bunch of candy for that because we want kids to have candy, right? We want to get them all hopped up on sugar, get them excited. There's a whole bag of candy here that we were like, do we throw this out to everybody tonight and get you guys hopped up on sugar? I don't know. Maybe we'll see how the Holy Spirit moves in a moment like that. No, we won't. All right. So uh, 10, 28, again, that's when that is. So for over the next few weeks, just bring those on a Sunday night. You can drop them. There's a box um, by the Next Steps table out there. 
Last thing, November 11th, that's Veterans Day, I believe. Um, Roadrunners, Tucson Roadrunners are having a hockey game. It's their family and faith night. Um, so you can get tickets for that in the app. We're going to be going as a group. We've already got uh, our college group is going to be going. Uh, so if you want to join us for that, that would be awesome. I think if we get over 25 people, we get to have our picture taken on the ice. That's kind of cool. Not only that, you all have the Zamboni driver, from what I understand, for those Roadrunner games in attendance at this church, which is pretty rad. They even play a song, I want to drive the Zamboni. This guy gets to drive the Zamboni, so you can go support him as well. We love you, Jesse. All right, so 10-minute party's going to be going on in the back. Jack's already back there. Again, we're going to Cereal Gorillas for dinner tonight, so people will probably be there in the next 25, 30 minutes. Uh, so join us for that if you have some free time tonight. Other than that, be blessed. Have a great week. God bless you all. We'll see you soon.